Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Welcome to the EM360 podcast, where we have a weekly conversation with people who are impacting the enterprise tech landscape. My name is Jonathan Kerr. I'm an advisor at Lionfish Tech Advisors, and I've worked in the cybersecurity industry for over 30 years now. I'm a former Gartner analyst, and these days I work with vendors to advise them how to maximize their growth. Today, I'm joined by Uri Durot, Senior Product Marketing Manager at Radware, and we're here to talk about Radware's 360 application protection and what it means for their customers. Uri, welcome to the show. Hi, Jonathan. Great to be here. Uh, great to talk to you again. And um, yeah, as you mentioned, just a few words about myself, about Radware. I'm a senior product marketing manager at Radware. Uh, Radware is uh, one of the leading cybersecurity companies today on the market. We've been around for uh, more than 25 years. We're a public company traded on the NASDAQ. We cater to um, thousands and thousands of customers, uh, a lot of the big you know, names out there, Fortune 500 companies, 10 of the 20th largest banks in the world, for instance, are our customers. So, um, and our bread and butter is cybersecurity. That's what we're dealing with. And I guess that's what we'll be talking about a little bit today, right? Absolutely. So um, without further ado, um, I'm really excited. As I say, Radware have had an uh, impressive and lengthy track record in the industry. You're certainly one of the uh, recognized brands. Uh, let's uh, let's um, tear into it. Let's see what we can get to. So um, I guess my first question, something I'm really curious about, is what do you see as the main challenges today in protecting applications? Yeah, so um, well, that's, that's a good point to start. Obviously, there, there, are, there are a lot of challenges, but the main challenges that we recognize uh, that we see, you know, when talking to our customers and prospects and, and analysts as well are around three things. Um, one is the, um, you know, consistently growing threat landscape, uh, the evolving threat landscape, the, the amount of different type of attacks, diversity, um, different origins of attacks and groups, you know, also launching those attacks is quite diverse today. That, so that's one thing. The other thing is the environment of applications, the digital ecosystem where everything is more complex these days. And the third thing is lacking security skills, uh, shortage of, you know, security personnel and staff and how organizations are dealing with that. So, so that's pretty much kind of the, you know, the, high level, the, uh, the main issues. Um, I would start really in order to understand those challenges better, you know, it's important to understand the application architectures today and, and the environment. So a few years back, applications used to be much more simple and easier to protect. The, the, the perimeter was, you know, a data center where you have your uh, application, your, your application server, where all the content is being uh, generated, and you just needed to protect that um, with, you know, you had your load balancer, you had your WAF. And what's happening today is a completely different story. Applications are uh, distributed uh, across multiple environments. Organizations are deploying applications uh, on-prem, in virtual clouds, private clouds, public clouds. 
um, they distribute their application code across, you know, different microservices, um, Kubernetes, and a lot of the content that used to be generated by the application server now is coming from third-party services, be it through APIs, JavaScript plugins. Applications are pretty much reliant uh, heavily. They rely on uh, third-party platforms and services. So a lot of the content is actually generated on the browser side. It means that there's the the threat surface is is quite um, huge, and it's really hard to define where the application environment starts, where it ends. So the perimeter um, is more complicated to protect. Just a load balancer with a WAF on your on-prem data center is not going to cut it anymore. So the challenges for organizations is how to protect all of those entry points to their applications, have visibility, see what's going on, um, and make sure that they can also do it and, and manage it um, in a way that doesn't burden their already quite exhausted, you know, security teams. Uh, and, and that's quite a challenge. Um, and that's something that is, is, is we addressed that as well. Maybe we'll get to that later. Um, and from that, everything else stems, you know, like the, the threat landscape, the different type of attacks that we see. So attackers, if they're used to attack the server side earlier, uh, they still do that, but now they're also attacking the browser side. They're trying to get in through vulnerabilities in, in third-party platforms, third-party plugins, all sorts of services, all sorts of you know dark spots or blind spots, if you want to call them, where a traditional WAF won't be able to, to cover. We talk about the growing threat landscape, but it sounds like what we're discovering is that even within our existing threat landscape, if you like, or existing... Uh, exposure attack surface um we're seeing new types of attacks and i suppose um you know again growth of microservices being uh, uh you know one reason for that um but what else i mean what do you see in terms of the sort of the new types of attacks and the um yeah the sort of the growing diversity of attacks that uh, radware is experiencing and indeed combating yeah so um so first, let's look at the players. You know, I mean, it used to be that most cyber attacks would come from, you know, let's say cyber criminals, right? Uh, what we see in 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 recent years, and and more specifically in the last couple of years, especially with all of those, you know, uh, new type of DDoS attacks, is that we see a lot of players that are actually driven by political agenda, um, state, you know, sponsored um, cyber. Um, organizations, religious groups. Um, and once all of those players, they come into the pictures, it means that there are going to be more funds behind them. There's going to be more technology. Um, and the magnitude and volume of attack is just growing. So that's one aspect of the, of, of the, uh, the story. The other thing is that since you know the application ecosystem is so diverse, we see a lot of attacks that are you know, multi-layered, where they're not just attacking, if we talk about DDoS, it's not about just about attacking the network layer anymore. A lot of those attacks are actually on the application layer, HTTP layer, uh, with sophisticated tools, uh, using automated tools. Uh, in the past, it used to be more manual. Now, those are complete automated smart tools that can launch, launch big attacks, that can disguise themselves, you know, as as um, as legit traffic, encrypted traffic. They keep changing. They keep morphing. Um, 
In addition to that, we see more sophisticated bot attacks, bots that can solve um, captchas, bot that can you know create accounts, take over accounts. We see a lot of new uh, zero-day scripts out there, uh, all sorts of not just bots, also injections. Um, and with the dependency on, as I mentioned, on third-party services, you know, via, via APIs and all sorts of you know JavaScript plugins, um, we see a lot of attempts on attacking APIs, abusing APIs, um, as well as you know all sorts of attacks that you probably heard of like you know form jacking mage cart also sort of dom cross-site scripting attacks that are actually on the browser side all of those dark spots or or blind spots that traditional webs traditional tools don't really look at them because they are not attacking the directly the application they are coming through the supply chain and that's just kind of like you know the tip of the iceberg Right. So um, it's again. I think this is. Um, I think this is part of the reason why, as you say, we are seeing uh, security operations teams being so overwhelmed because uh, they really do have to understand not only the infrastructure, not only the network and the um, the platforms that are running the server platforms and so on, but they now have to understand not just the application and kind of the the web UI and the attacks, but also, as you say, the various way various application components interact and what those attacks are and i must admit, i've mused in fact in the last week or so whether um api security is actually a very distinct um subset of you know the wider application security field just because you say because of that field but i think one of the things that um for me uh, is when i'm talking to vendors like yourself uh, i really say what are you doing to um, ease the burden on those, you know, overstressed, overworked security operation guys. And I guess the question there is uh, Radware's Application 360 Protection Service. Um, tell me a little bit about what that is and how that helps the uh, the teams. Yeah, so, um, you know, as I mentioned, like in, in the beginning of our conversation, you know, we are um, a cybersecurity company and, and that's our... That's our that's our thing. That that's our bread and butter. That that's our business. That's what we focus on. And in order to deal with all of those challenges, what we've realized um, some years back is that we need to be able to offer our customers a way to, first of all, to have visibility into all of their you know different touch points and 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 threat surface or or let's say threat vectors. Um, they need to be able to see all the attacks on all all layers um, in one place, and they need to be able to protect against all of those attacks um, in a way that is efficient and support all of those multiple environments. So, so one of the challenges that we see with the, with having multiple environments today is also consistency of security. How, how, do you, how do you maintain consistency on each environment? Uh, how you consolidate your tools so you won't have to have you know, different WAFs protecting different environments. And, and, and I'll explain that soon. So first and foremost, you, you've mentioned our three, 360 application protection. So basically what we offer today is a service that uh, provides us a, a security blanket 
that protects applications from both you know the server side to the browser side and, and pretty much everything in between. Uh, and when we say applications, we mean you know any web or mobile application. Um, they're APIs, they're um, third-party JavaScript connections, and we protect them in any environment, be it on-prem, uh, public cloud, virtual clouds, um, you know, microservices, Kubernetes, um, and the protection has to be against all types of HTTP layer attacks, be it DDoS attacks, web attacks, bot attacks, um, API abuse, as you've mentioned, or any attacks coming through the browser side. And we do that with a one-stop uh, application protection solution portal that is based on five main pillars, uh, five, let's say, engines. One is our, our WAF, our web application firewall. And what's unique about that, that it's not just based on known signature, you know, in the traditional negative security model, but it also incorporates a positive security model and behavioral-based algorithms that basically are able to look at the traffic, see what what it means in context as far as, okay, there's a baseline of what is legit traffic. And, and then on top of that, it keeps fine-tuning the security policies to make sure legit traffic is allowed and anything that doesn't adhere to, uh, to those prerequisite is blocked. Um, so it, it is able to provide a very high level of security with the lowest, um, you know, um, level of the lowest trade of false positives, which means it allows security personnel to have a WAF that they can actually use without being afraid of breaking up the application, right? So that's one pillar. Um, and that's, by the way, just a side note, that's, that's a big challenge we see with a lot of companies that we come to, you know, or, or new customers that they, they are afraid of using the, the current WAF they have because it's too complex to deal with. They're afraid of, you know, uh, enabling all sorts of rules or security policies that might break their applications. They're afraid of false positives. And, and, and this is one of the unique things that we offer because there's not only we have the the combination of negative and positive security model. We also provide a lot of automations within the, our tools. And we have a 24 seven managed services and ERT services that basically make sure that um, our customers make the most of um, the tools we provide them with. So one pillar is the WAF. Then we've got our bot manager um, that protects against bot attacks from you know, simple bot attacks all the way to human-like type of, you know, Gen 4 type of bot attacks, account takeovers, scalping, scraping, brute force attacks, uh, credential stuffing. Um, and not only protects the desktop applications, it also protects native mobile iOS and Android applications. And we have a very uh, powerful SDK for it and some unique algorithms and proprietary engine for secure identity to validate uh, authentic users. And we also integrated something very unique we did there in the bot manager. We integrated the uh, um, uh, iOS and Android um, 
attestation services into that. So basically validating that a user is actually coming from a real device and not an emulator. So that's the bot. Then we've got our client-side protection engine that monitors all requests going to third-party services through the browser side and can actually block uh, nefarious requests going to unknown destination or even to a legit destination, but with unknown parameters. So that's the third pillar. The fourth pillar is our API protection engine, which also protects um, your APIs, your um, you know your schemas, your API schema files, the schema validation. But it also provides a very strong discovery capabilities, automatic discovery. A lot of organizations um, don't have full control or visibility of their APIs. There are a lot of undocumented APIs, shadow APIs, third-party APIs in the systems. In order to protect them, first of all, you need to know what to protect. So our API discovery is is uh, basically discovering and mapping all of those APIs and their parameters so that you can protect them. And it's all done automatically. So it, it really relieves, you know, the the, the workload of, of personnel, you know, working on, on managing those APIs and, 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 and swagger files and all that. And the fifth pillar, which is last but not least, is the web DDoS protection that we have. So protecting against all of those web DDoS attacks, all those HTTP DDoS attacks. And lately in the last year, and I believe we've talked about it in, 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 in the past, um, a few months back, there are, there are huge uh, disruptive web DDoS attacks where we call tsunami attacks. They are super sophisticated with millions of requests per second that keep on morphing in real time. And in order to protect them, you need uh, a, a web DDoS protection solution that is not just based on signatures. It has to be utilizing behavioral-based algorithms that can generate uh, signatures in real time. And that's exactly what our solution does. Now, all of those tools, the 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 beauty of it that they don't just work in their own silo. So we have this thing, for instance, that's called source blocking. So basically it's an engine that looks at all of the security events per specific, per IPs. So like they look at all the IPs and, and once they see there is a certain threshold of security events, be it BOD, be it WAF, be it the, the DDoS uh, protection engine, it basically blocks the IP within the customer's account. So even if they have, let's say, 100 applications, but one IP is generating attacks on, let's say, 10 of those applications and, and it passes a certain threshold, we recognize it as a malicious IP. It automatically blocks that IP from accessing all of the applications within the account, which is quite powerful, quite unique. So that's pretty much you know the, the 360. I, I, I went on a rant here because there's a lot to say, but... Uh, no, no, no. It's really, it's really, inter- it's really interesting. Um, and I, I know that everybody is, you know, people listening are very, uh, you know, interested to hear about the, you know, what's gone into the product. And that's something I'd like to, um, I'd actually like to uh, dig a little deeper on. I mean, you mentioned that signatures are not enough, and I can well believe that. Signatures tell you what's happened in the past and will make sure that never happens again. But of course, attackers don't live in the past. Attackers are constantly evolving uh, the way that they attack. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm curious, you know, give us a peek behind the, the curtain and, you know, what do you do um, to keep up with these constant, you know, what tangible things are, is Radware doing to keep up this constantly evolving threat landscape? Yeah, so uh, 
well, we can't really reveal all the secrets, obviously, but in, in general terms, the, the way we operate is, uh, as I said, we, we're a technology-driven company. So um, we invest a lot of effort and uh, resources and headcount in, in R&D. Um, the fact of the matter is that uh, over, you know, more than 50% of our headcount is actually research and development. And wow. And the majority of it, uh, obviously, you know, there's maintenance of 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 the of the products, of the codes. There, there are updates, but the majority of the investment goes into um, innovation and and creating those um, AI-based and machine learning algorithms. You know, for behavioral-based detection and mitigation, we, as as you said, your, sorry, yourself, you cannot just um, you know, you cannot just base your security on unknown signatures or blacklists. Um, the sophistication of attacks um, and the, the way attackers think today, how they operate, how they search for vulnerabilities, the tools that they use, the automated tools. Also, they use some AI as well for reconnaissance and finding vulnerabilities, generating new scripts. Um, you can't really deal with that with, with known signatures. So... We invest a lot in behavioral-based algorithms that are able to work in real time, um, detect, you know, uh, malicious traffic, detect anomalies, create real-time signatures, whether it's in our WAF or DDoS or, or bot engines, and, and able to stop new attacks in, in real time. Because at, at the end of the day, um, usually when you hear of, uh, of a cyber incident or a breach one of those you know the, those major breaches that you hear about in the news most of the time it's some sort of a new type of you know zero day attack that that no one had any signature for right so so that's what we really invest in a lot um obviously a lot of our personnel is also invested in our um managed services in our emergency response teams that work you know, they follow the sun, they, they work 24-7 around the globe in different locations, um, basically helping our customers. Um, we also have, you know, under attack um, services for customers who are in the midst of an attack and they, and they need help. So, and, and, and we do that too. Um, so yeah, a lot goes into that, developing those, you know, behavioral-based uh, algorithms be developing automations ai tools as well i mean yeah and it, it's interesting because it sounds that um you know radware really taken the leap um you're no longer um if i can use the old term you're no longer pushing tin it's not about here's a product we ship the product now we're done it really is about you know providing that ongoing service and uh, i think ongoing expertise and of course um right. and i think in the in the world of the cloud and i was i was just writing uh, something this morning about uh, um you know the things that people need to do to protect the cloud um so I guess uh, with that in mind, um, do you have any tips on you know, the more complex multi-cloud and hybrid cloud environments? How do your customers typically you help? How do you help your customers to maintain that consistent level of security across these different environments? 
Yeah, so you know, c- consistency and security is, is 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 a huge topic, and 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 has to do not just with the you know with with the current challenges that organizations are facing, but also with you know planning ahead, right? I mean, we, I talked to you know to CISOs and and people you know in different companies, and and when you always ask someone. Um, and I'm sure you, you had it too. Like, well, what's, what do you think your application environment is going to look like in a couple of years or, you know, three years from now? They, they, they don't know, right? Because it changes constantly and, and all the time. And, and, and the thing is, and, and you know how long it takes for an organization to, you know, to, to actually to agree internally on changing, you know, a security vendor and then, you know, train and get used to work with it so now if they're moving to a new environment you know they they don't really want to change you know the the their WAF and but many times they, they end up doing so so you see companies that have a different WAF for their public cloud a different WAF for their on-prem or a different WAF for another you know environment and what happens is that you get those silos and and different security teams sometimes work in different products that are not necessarily at the same level of protection or capabilities uh, with different security policies, with different um, update cycles, right, of, of security policies and, and, and rules. Um, and we don't have consistency in protection and visibility. You can't really go, do a good job in, in protecting your um, environments. And what we do is uh, the way our architecture is and the way our um, application protection solution is built is that it can connect to any environment so it's it's really agnostic to environment it's agnostic to to cdns so no matter if our customers have you know one cloud three different clouds um you know on-prem environments we have ways for them to connect everything to the same cloud application protection services. So from within that portal, they can see all of those environments. They can uh, basically use the same security policies. They can update everything from the same place, uh, see all the security events for WAF, for BOT, for DDoS, for API. And that way they can not only maintain consistent visibility, and uh, security level, it's also easier for them to to manage it. Um, and if they decide to change environments or to migrate their application to a different environment, um, they can still continue with the same security vendor, uh, which is us in that case, and 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 do that. And and if I can get just a little bit technical, I don't want to really dwell too much on that. It, it's probably a you know. <laughs> A podcast of its own but uh, the way we do this is that we in addition to you know the traditional inline uh, connection your know, reverse proxy where you basically send all your traffic through our cloud uh, and we kind of stand in the way between you know your your customers and your application um, we also have um, another option of connecting with us it's a proprietary API based out of path uh, architecture, which we call Secure Path, uh, which basically means that you can mix and match. You can connect some of your applications to us inline, and some of them can be connected in and out of path mode. Basically, using you know, um, there's um, there's like an agent, basically um, a script that uh, sends all the relevant information to our uh, 
cloud and then it's integrated with your whether it's your nginx um or whether with your you know um, aws public cloud or or gcp um and that way you don't need to share an ssl certificate in some cases you know certain applications that don't want to share an ssl certificate they have some sort of whether it's compliance issues or any other issues so but they can still enjoy the same service the same level of protection and so there's more flexibility there so if tomorrow they want to migrate to a certain environment they don't need to start thinking how am i going to connect my WAF to that i'm going to do this way that whatever they want to do uh we provide them that flexibility and no matter how it is connected it's all the same product same portal and they can manage it from there so uh that that's kind of a high level of, of of how we do that um and as you said consistency um is super important visibility and consistency without that you can't really do you know a good job protecting your digital assets especially if you're a big company if you have you know multiple um environments and multiple applications that's wonderful and so and i i'm sure that uh, everyone here i've certainly enjoyed listening and i'm sure everyone listening has enjoyed listening to um you i'd like i'd actually like to take advantage of uh, your your time now um let's talk about a little bit about let's be let's indulge in some futurology um, and of course, what we what we can now talk about is uh, the current hype around AI. Um, I mean, in cybersecurity and fraud, we've seen machine learning solutions for some time. Um, you know, it's not um, you know the uh, credit card uh, transactions have used various types of AI for some time, but now, of course, we have this huge hype around AI, in particular Gen AI, but. My question to you, is is all this really new? Um, Well, generative AI is new. I mean, um, the concept was always there, but what happened with, I think, you know, the uh, introduction of generative AI tools to the public, right? Um, At the end of 2022, I think it's even, it's not even a year, right? Barely a year or a year since it was introduced, right? what we've seen is that a lot of, you know, people that are not as, I mean, a lot of, you know, cyber, let's say criminals or hackers or wannabe hackers um, can use those tools uh, without having too much knowledge or, you know, cybersecurity or computer expertise for that matter, or software engineering expertise. They can take advantage of generative AI tools uh, to do all sorts of different things. Um, Actually, wrote a blog about it um, a few weeks ago. Um, so, so we see a few a few trends. Um, one thing that we see, and we see both, you know, um, white hats do that. Uh, you know, they use generative AI tools as some sort of co-pilot. You know, to um, to find vulnerabilities right within the organizations they're trying to protect, so be able to patch them. But we also see a lot of black hats do that. They use generative AI tools to to find vulnerabilities um, within uh, the, their targeted applications, which make it easier for them to to launch, you know, uh, attacks and exploit those vulnerabilities. So, so, 
so that's one thing. Another thing is, you know, we see attackers using AI tools to generate um, phishing attacks. Um, it's much easier today and faster for them to 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 generate, you know, authentic looking, you know, like emails or landing pages or or URLs, text messages. So so if before, in order to do that, you had to you, you had to write an email that looks authentic or create a landing page that looks authentic, and you need to know. English and to know what you're doing, or now a lot of more people can do that, even if they're not, you know, graphic designers, and even if they're not, you know, then they don't know how to exactly write the proper email, or their English is not their their first or second language. Even they can do that. So we see more of it. We see more and more attacks. Um, another thing that we see is, you know, the AI tools uh, are used by, well. You know, a lot of DevOps, they they use libraries of code, right, when they build websites. Um, and some of them are dependent on AI tools because it's easy, it's fast. But some bad actors are exploiting that. And we found out that there's a lot of malicious code libraries uh, that are coming that you can accidentally download through those uh, AI tools. So uh, one thing we say to people is, at least I recommend, like, avoid doing that. Try not to get your code libraries from generative AI tools. And, and, and if you do, you really have to validate them and you really have to read the code carefully, right? Um, and then when it comes to more to, you know, to our area and what we protect against, all of those zero-day attacks that we mentioned, so with those generative AI tools, um, and again, this is just the beginning because um, although you're right that in concept we did have AI, but the generative AI chats and all that, it allows uh, bad actors to create a lot of you know, new zero-day bots, new scripts for which you don't have you know, any, any signatures. So uh, it allows them to create sophisticated bots that can get through different challenges, you know, different uh, capture challenges, for instance, uh, all sorts of, you know, to get through all sorts of validation services. So, so you really need, um, in order to find that, you need your bot protection tools, your, your WAF to, to have those, you know, behavioral-based real-time algorithms that we mentioned. If you, you, can't, you can't rely on signatures anymore. That's, that's one of the things. And, and you know, hackers, they, they, when they use the, the AI as a co-pilot, they become, you know, much smarter and faster. Uh, and they, can, they, they really cut down the time it takes to discover a vulnerability and come up with, with a new... Uh, or find a new vulnerability once you know that all vulnerability is patched. So that in that you know cat and mouse game that we have in the cyber domain, that just it gives them a lot of a lot of um, a lot of power. Um, on the other hand, with advancements of AI, companies like ourselves are also utilizing you know AI. Um, methodologies and approaches to um you know to boost up our, our algorithms and our protections and our automations um so it's a double-edged sword but um it's just important for people to be aware that we are this is a new era the i think i, I don't know what, what what you think i'll be happy to hear about that but you know i, I personally think that the ai uh generative ai chatbots and what's going on right now it's a technological revolution just as big as you know the introduction of smartphones and the internet 
and um, the magnitude and the way it's going to affect us all um, is yet to be seen, but um, it changes a lot. Okay. Well, Uri, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you, Jonathan. Always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for having me. See you on the next one. And also to everyone listening, thank you as well. Um, uh, This uh, would be nothing without you uh, listening and supporting us. Uh, We hope that you all took a lot away from today's podcast. And for further information on what we talked about, please head on over to our website. Uh, We'll be back next week with another episode in our podcast series. Until then, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on all major platforms. Follow the conversation on our socials at EM360Tech on Twitter and LinkedIn. And for more great daily content, head on over to EM360Tech.com. For EM360, I've been Jonathan Kerr. I've been talking to Uri from Radware. Thank you very much.